Hello, Freedom Fighters. Thank you for listening. This audio interview is brought to you by Open World Magazine, the ultimate guide for pursuing a life of adventure and passion and setting up a location-independent business that can support your dream lifestyle. Go check us out at openworldmag.com. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Open World Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Flood. And in this episode, I'm joined by a fellow podcaster. His name is David Ralph. He's the host of Join Up Dots. It's a daily podcast with nearly 500 episodes so far. It's a best of iTunes podcast, and it's fair to say that David is crushing it right now with podcasting. So I invited him onto the show. He's also created a training program called Podcasters Mastery, which helps people to create successful podcasts with Real tactics that are working now, sexy tactics like building an audience, uh, monetizing their podcast, and establishing really good connections. Uh, so we're going to really talk, uh, dive in and, and talk about that on this episode. And David, I just want to welcome you to the show. It is lovely to be beaming live into the world of Ladyboys and Danny Flood. I don't know what side's more, most exciting, but um, it's good to be here. <laughs> I haven't seen any ladyboys today, but I'm, I'm staying in Silam uh, at the moment, which is, uh, I don't know if you've, have you been to Bangkok yet, David? I, I, I passed through Bangkok for about one hour on the way to Singapore many, many moons ago. And I, I remember it being a very posh airport, but that's as much as I've seen. Oh, you've got to spend more time here. It's, it's quite interesting. Uh, I'm actually staying in Silam, which is right next to uh, Pat Pong, which is the night market and the infamous site of the uh, ping pong show. Have you heard of the ping pong show, David? I know all about the ping pong show. <laughs> yes, this is a family show, so we can't talk about ping pong, but yes, I know about that. <laughs> I actually just saw it for the first time a few weeks ago. It was, it was quite uh, eye-opening, uh, I'll just say. It wasn't just eye-opening, though. That's the thing, isn't it? <laughs> so, David, thank you so much for being here. Uh, perhaps you could tell the listener and me a little bit more about your backstory um, you know, what was your, your former career before you, you got into podcasting and, and how did you end up on this path? It, it's a funny, it was, it was a funny sort of 16 years leading up to three and a half hours one afternoon. But basically, I've always been um, a people person. I was in banking, I was in insurance, and I was always the training manager or the um, customer service manager. So it was very much sort of people related all the way through. And I got to a point working for an insurance company after many years of just kind of losing my mojo. I was a trainer. I used to get up and do courses and presentations. And when I was in front of people, I came alive and loved it, but there was too much going on in the background that just kept me away from doing that. And uh, a manager came in one day and changed my world around, and I just thought, I can't bear this anymore. I've got to get out. I've got to do my own thing. And one afternoon, I sat at home after I'd quit about three days into my my self-employment, my entrepreneurial journey, and I realized that there was this thing called podcasting. And as soon as I heard it, I thought to myself, I could do this. I really think I could do this. And uh, I didn't know anything about it. It was just that vibe. And as I talk about on my show all the time, Danny, if you get that vibe of, I think I can do this, it's kind of halfway there. Probably not halfway there because you've got the technical aspects and all that. But at least you've got that feeling of, yeah, this is something I want to do. And that's what I did. And um, I listened to this show and I listened to another show. And by the time I'd listened to the third show, I thought this was for me. And that's what I did. And I created Join Up Dots on the 30th of April, 2014. And um, coming up to, yeah, 500 shows now, and it is going like a rocket. Love it. You can't get better than it. <laughs> I love that point where you, you realize that, uh, you know, I can do this. The way forward is clear. And I think I, I've experienced that too. And, and I know that when other people, you know, they tell me they experience that, they're like, wow, this is amazing. I never knew that this was possible. And listening to you, I was actually thinking of our mutual friend, uh, you, who, whom you just interviewed. He was also on this show. Uh, Rob Cubbin, who is also from uh, London, and I, I read his book where he, he talked about his, his former life, you know, working at a, a routine job and, and just going through, he said, you know, going through a tube each day, spending eight hours inside an office, and then returning home through the same tube, dr drinking beer, watching TV. He's like, that, that was what my life was like before I, you know, broke free and, and decided to, to do my own thing, and now he's, you know, traveling the world, he's making uh, money hand over fist, and um, would you say that was kind of similar to your, your own journey as far as your, your metamorphosis is concerned? 
Well, it's funny. I had Rob on my show the other day, and we, we had a great conversation. And I think the, the major difference between him and me is that uh, I was so down on everything, I would be drinking on the tube. I didn't even wait till I got home. But uh, <laughs> it is one of those things that when you talk to these people, and it is, it's been a right eye-opener to me that how small the world actually is. The fact that, you know, I know you now, and you know Rob, and Rob knows me. And you kind of think, this is, this is bizarre. But, yeah, we, we've got similar journeys, me and Rob. And uh, I think the, the thing that came out big time when I was speaking to him was the fact that you don't realise that actually the skills that you've built up are transferable to a business. When you kind of get fed up with being an employee, you think, oh, what can I do? I can't do anything. This is all I know. But actually, it's all those small things that build up that you can transfer if you can find somebody out there that doesn't like doing them. So if you're good at doing, I don't know, email opening and entries or spreadsheets or whatever might be an easy task for you, but somebody else is going to find it boring. That's your business. And that is what you need to do to start off. And then once you get into it, you can sort of um, progress through once you've got money coming in. But it was interesting, as he said, he didn't know what he wanted to do, but then realized actually what he was doing already was the business. But by going online and by going global, you don't work for an hour for a dollar anymore. You basically can scale it up and do it at any time. And Rob's, yeah, he's wandering the world like some weird bald Yoda, having a great time. He, he was in Prague when I spoke to him. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, so I know Rob, uh, he, he basically just monetized the skills he already had, like you said. And I, I was kind of nodding my head when you were talking about how small the world has become and how global it's become. Um, you know, like, I, I, t I technically, I know you, but I've, I've never met you in person. I've never met Rob in person, but I, I consider Rob a friend, and, uh, you know, I, I, I'd like to consider you a friend as well, David. So, uh, but, but I noticed that when I, um, like, I sent an email to my, my mailing list, for example, and I was really surprised by the replies that I got back, you know, because I'm the typical, you know, middle-class white suburban guy. But then I was getting emails back from people of all walks of life, you know, I, an IT consultant in Mexico City, a uh, personal development coach in Beijing, uh, you know, an IT person in Vancouver, uh, you know, all, all these people, like, just, and I'm like, wow, how did these people find me? You know, I, I didn't realize, like, how interconnected we all are. And I, I don't know, it's, it's really eye-opening to me. And I think that um, there's a, there must be a point, like, you know, when I, when I first started doing business online, like, I guess I kind of nursed doubts about whether these people were actually out there and whether uh, whether it was actually going to work. Did, did you ever feel that way? Was there ever like a hurdle where um, you had to kind of like overcome yourself in order to, to make this work? Yeah, I think everybody's had to do that. I think there's two hurdles you have to do. First of all, you have to get that employee mentality because most of us go into a job first of all before we decide to do this. And you 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 think small when you're working for a company you think small and you think that your actions are only going to affect maybe five or six people or a little bit wider if you do it well but once you get into the online environment we talk a lot about it danny about if you can find a service for 500 pounds and sell it to 200 people in a year you're making 100 grand now if you can't find 200 people out of 7.8 billion then you're doing something wrong. And that was a big mindset that I had to overcome. And the first, the second one, I suppose, was the fact that when people did start coming through to me, I wasn't sure how much to charge them. And I was thinking at the beginning, oh, yeah, I can do that easy. I just do it free. And I was spending a lot of time just doing free stuff for people because I kind of thought, oh, it's easy for me. I'll just help them. But as soon as I started charging, they didn't quibble. They just went, yeah, fine, that's great. And then I sort of upped it, and I still didn't quibble. And I kept on going through these these ceilings where I kept on up, upping my price range, thinking, oh, they're going to say no now, they're going to say no. But they didn't. They just kept on going up because I was providing the value they wanted. So where I started off with that $500 for 200 people, I got to the point of having 10 people and making the same amount of money. It, it's been an absolute eye-opener how much money you can make. But do it because you love it and you can do it easily and you can do it in maybe one or two days. My whole week now for my show is literally two days and everything else is sort of playtime. It's, it's brilliant. But no, I think we all go through those ceilings, don't we? Yeah, yeah. and I'm kind of laughing here because... Uh... 
when you're starting out, when you're you know going on your own, you're you're bootstrapping your business, like you are basically you know, you might have a savings for like six months or three months or something, but you're basically broke and you're feeling like I'm not going to spend money on anything unless I absolutely have to. But then you put something out for your customers and you're like, wow, these people don't mind spending, you know, 10, 30, 50, $300, you know? So you kind of have that mindset of scarcity. It's almost like fear that you kind of back into it when you start to charge money, I feel like. And I feel like for me, I really had to kind of rewire that to like shift myself to an abundance mindset. And I found that like uh, uh, Marie Forleo, she has a, a good YouTube video on that. It's uh, money mindsets. And, and just like every time you spend money, uh, just tell yourself there's plenty more where that came from, you know, and just, just be like opening up to more opportunities and creating new opportunities. But I, I found that to be uh, quite a hurdle to, to overcome. You know, like when I first started to offer products, uh, to people I didn't know, you know, in the virtual world, I, I put the price so low because I wasn't sure if anyone was going to buy it, you know. Um, <clears throat> let me let me ask you though. So, how long what how long did it take you before you started seeing some significant income from your podcast? And and tell me, walk me through how you set up your your funnel and your I guess your your line of products and, and services. Yeah, I'll be totally transparent with you. Actually, when I started the podcast, my utopia, what I really would love is that I just record the shows and that's it. That's the money making. So when I started off, I thought to myself, right, okay, I'm going to get X amount of thousand listeners, put some adverts, front and end, maybe a mid-roll, one in the middle, and job done. But as I got into it and I enjoyed the process, I suddenly thought to myself, no, that, that's, that's a dodgy way of doing it because suddenly I'm putting all my income in the hands of somebody else and the advertising manager for that company might go, no, actually, that was, <coughs> oh, <coughs> sorry about that. Um, God, I'm trying to get over a cold. Um, the advertising manager might say to themselves, no, that was all right for the last quarter, but we've changed our focus and bang, my income has gone. So what I changed, I changed and thought, right, everything that I do now has to be based on myself providing products. And then if I get advertising, that's a bonus. So I sort of flipped it on its head. So the first six months, I didn't make anything at all on Join Up Dots. And I didn't expect to. Because what I wanted to do was have some kind of knowledge and expertise. And so when somebody comes to me, they're coming because they know that I'm at a position that I can solve their issues. You see it all the time, don't you, Danny? Somebody's online. They've got like a two-page website. And they're saying, oh, come to me. I will mentor you. And you think, why? Why would I go to you? Why, why wouldn't I go to somebody who's been around for a while? So that was my first thing. But I started making serious money when I started breaking through that ceiling and started to do coaching. So the first coaching I did, I did it for $250 a month. Yeah, that's right. And that was my, as I can say, keep the lights on figure. That was where all the money that was going out started to flood back to me and my savings started to go up. So that was my first threshold. But now I've got 10 coaching clients who pay me 10 grand a month, uh, 10 grand a year. So that's my 100 grand. And then I've got Podcasters Mastery that is chipping in. I've got Dream Starters Academy that is chipping in. Um, I've got quite a few sort of little minor products and I've got ones that I'm building at the moment. But it still takes me full circle to the fact that my focus is that the show is the money maker. The fact that my voice is going out there and touching people and building that connection, I think that is where it really stems from. And if you're not focused on that, all the other bits won't, won't work. You'll, you'll be making money for a little while, but then it'll dry up. You've got to keep on producing that content. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, absolutely. I, I felt the exact same way when I started blogging. Like um, I just wanted to create content. I, I had no marketing plan for my content, really. Um, you know, but now when I, when I write a blog post, I'm already thinking about how I'm going to promote it, how I'm going to market it. Um, but, but one thing I, I found really interesting what you're talking about is, is when you mentioned the, uh, the clients who each pay you $10,000 a year. Um, I, I remember in my own experience that when I could get a client to pay me $1,000 a month, for example, um, that's, that's when things really started to become a lot easier, uh, getting those high ticket clients. Uh, but, but when I did it, I, I had to meet these people, you know, face to face. I took a long time to build a relationship with them. Uh, how, how did you find these, uh, these high end clients and, and what did you tell me, tell me how you prepared the product that you offer, the consulting that you offer. How did you 
build up the value to be $10,000 a year? Um, how did you woo these, these clients? I sleep with a lot of people, Danny. I'm, I'm at that age. No, I don't really. Um, how do I do it? Well, funnily enough, the first guy came along and I wasn't planning to do coaching because I'd done coaching in my previous job and I was kind of running away from that because I was thinking, oh, you know, I, I spent years doing that. I don't want to do that again. But he came through to me and he said, I'd like you to coach me. And I went, well, it's not really my thing. And he said, well, um, how much would you charge if I asked for a year's contract? And so I just said that figure and I went 10 grand and he went fine. And then instantly I thought, God, I should have said 20 grand. I should have said 30 grand. But anyhow, he said 10 grand. And so we started connecting and the first maybe month, because it, it was just him, I must have spoken to him for about an hour and a half each week on Skype. And we built up that kind of reputation. And I was very open with him. And I said, look, we, we're going to have to scale it down because I've got other people coming on board. And to be honest, I hadn't. I just wanted to scale him down. And then he said, oh, well, I know two people that would love to be coached by you. Can I refer you? And I thought, do I really want to do this? Yeah, go on then, go on then. And so I suddenly had replicated my salary that I was earning before. And it was as easy as that. So I do think that if you are doing the right thing and you have got commitment to the task and you're really providing content which is valuable, you don't have to sell yourself. People will seek you out. And the more you do it, obviously, the better you become and the easier the flow and the technical aspects. But the bottom line, Danny, and this goes out to all the listeners and this is, goes out to you, is if you're leaving a job, to become an entrepreneur, what you don't want to do is go from a one boss that you don't like to having 15 bosses that you don't like. So you need to cut off people if they're too demanding. Because I, I remember listening to Amy Porterfield, and she made a very good point that she said, I went from one boss to eight bosses, and my time was worse being a, a, an entrepreneur than it was an employee. So I'm very aware of that. And I probably lost, I don't know, about seven clients just because I've said to him, it's not working. You know, you, you want too much of me. And I, I sort of knock him back. And it, it works very well. It works very well. I do a couple of calls each week, and that's done. That's my salary. And I could literally do two days on Join Up Darts, um, an afternoon doing my coaching, and that's it for the whole rest of the week. I could just be walking around and having pub lunches. Be brilliant. <laughs> how, how many hours are you down to now, David? Well, when I started, it literally was 20 hours a day, seven days a week. Absolute a killer. But now I do a very long day on Thursday where I start recording shows at 8 in the morning and I'm still doing them probably about 10 o'clock at night. So that's a very long day. But that's my whole um, two, two weeks of recording or at least a week and a half recording done in one go. Then I get up on a Friday morning and if somebody wants to interview me like we're doing now, I will do that. Then I work till lunchtime on a Friday recording online videos and stuff. And then pretty much flat. That's the stuff I have to do. And then everything else is stuff I kind of fancy doing. So I, I sort of plan stuff and I write emails and I do little things. But the, the bottom line is when I started it, it was all me, totally me. And it did literally kill me. Uh, then I tried to get a few virtual assistants and they were rubbish, total rubbish. But I kind of persisted, and now I've got two or three guys that are very good, and they're taking a lot of the bulk away from me of booking guests in and all that kind of stuff. So it is worth investing in other people as soon as you've got any money coming in because it makes it so much easier. <laughs> I, I, I want to add, uh, I want to circle back a second there because there was a couple of nuggets in what you said uh, that I really want to uh, hone in on. Um, I, I noticed in my, my former business as well, uh, when I fired clients and just kind of focus on four or five. That was when I really found freedom for myself and because I felt like I was really trying to always get more, 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 and, and I was kind of sinking lower, 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 and lower. Um, and then just when I, I just had like, you know, four or five clients, I could make a full-time income from that and, and reduce my, my working hours at 10 hours a week. That's when things started to work for me. But also, um, there was another nugget in there, which, which you said, and I actually read something like this recently. I can't remember the source, but... Uh, like freelancers, for example, they have the feast or famine cycle. And there was a freelancer who was on you know, the, the feast end of that cycle. And there was someone who came to him, and he really didn't want to work with the guy. So he told him, you know, I'm, I'm really busy. Um, you know, if you want this, it's going to be like 
and he said some really high number, like 15 grand. And then he also said, uh, and I'm, I'm busy for like three or four weeks, so I won't be able to start for like four weeks or something. And then the guy said, fine. And what the, the lesson there was is that um, it can actually be really powerful when you tell people, you know, I, I'm really busy right now, but you, if you're willing to wait until next month, um, you know, then, then we can go ahead and, and it's going to be this, this rate. Uh, for some reason, when, when you're courting a client, and I don't know what it is, but when you say that, you know, I'm, I'm really busy right now, but, you know, we can talk about this next week or two weeks from now, when you make them wait, I don't know what it is, but there's something magical there because uh, suddenly you're not, like, kowtowing to them. You know, you're not desperately trying to turn up business. Uh, and I don't know whether it's, if it's just a result of that feast or famine cycle, but I think if you can hone in on that and, and really put it to use, I think you can go much further as a consultant, as a freelancer, uh, what have you. Would you, would yeah, you yeah, that? but I agree with you totally there. I had a guy called Tim Connolly. I don't know if you've had Tim Connolly on the show, but if you haven't, I should connect you because he was a complete eye-opener and he has clients across the board. But he actually says... If you don't get all your work done by July, you're not going to get me for three months because he just closes up shop. And he used to take his laptop around the world and try to get Wi-Fi connection in a Shanghai cafe or whatever. But now he just says to him, these are my times. If you want to work with me, that's great. I'll give you 100% in these months. But after that, no. And people buy into that. They buy into that because you've set the standard out at the beginning. And I think that's the problem that we have when we are starting. We're willing to go, oh, yeah, I can do that. Um, Sunday evening, all right? No, it's not. What about Friday morning? And we, we're, we bend over backwards for them. But what we should be doing is going, this is my time. This is my figure. And if you like it, great. And if you don't, then don't worry about it because there's, you know, there's 7.8 billion people out there. I actually listened to a show with Pat Flynn and Chris Ducker, the, um, the business guys. And they were going through business courses where people had, had, um, started a business and they were struggling. And literally every answer Chris Ducker had was double it, double it. Is that your fee? Double it. And then they came back about six weeks later and they said, yeah, we doubled all the fees. We lost the guys that were rubbish anyway. But the, the clients that wanted to work with us said, yes, that's fine. I thought it was a bit low anyway. And they got their time back. And it is all about getting your figure, doubling it, and then not blinking. And that is the way to do it. That's fantastic. And I feel like that is, that is such a hurdle for self-employed people to, to overcome is that, that scarcity mindset, you know, feel, feeling that they are worth more. Um, and I know a lot of people can easily fall into this trap where uh, you, you mentioned a, a cafe in Shanghai, but, but you could be like, uh, you know, quitting your job, but you're, you're stuck in some hut in Cambodia writing SEO articles for, you know, one cent per word or something like that. And, and that's, yeah, living the dream indeed, you know, but uh, I, I think there's, there's something really to be said for, for being able, you know, I mean, I mean, you're definitely, there's definitely a lot of fear and, and paranoia when, when you're starting out and, um, you know, you're not making any money in the beginning and, and you really got to like get whatever you can. And, and so <clears throat> I guess to reverse that, you, you kind of have to um, become the prize, I suppose. And, and you mentioned that when you have, uh, what, what you do with your podcast, for example, you have no shortage of opportunities. Um, how, how has it been like, why don't you, let's, let's, let's go to the, the podcast, for example. So how do you how did you get to the point where you are as far as building up this, this audience and just putting your brand out there? You know, what's, what's been your strategy? Well, my strategy, first of all, was do it every single day. Now, when I hit the year, I was doing an hour episode every single day, seven days a week. And when I got to the anniversary, I sort of set out to my listeners, what would you like for the second year of Join Up Dots? And they went less of it. We can't keep up with it. It's like drinking from the fire hose. And I thought, okay, that's interesting. <laughs> so I condensed it and we've gone to three days a week. But then I do lots of bonus episodes because I just like doing them. So I come up to the microphone and I record 25 minutes or something about me talking about a subject and I release it. And so it's about five days a week. So that grows an audience quickly because you are 
content, content, content. But then you've got to do things the right way and you've got to make sure that your SEO and stuff is right. Now, a lot of podcasters, they fail on this. They can't be bothered. They just want to get the show out and bang. Now, I've spent a lot of time and I'm still doing it, twiddling with my page titles and stuff to see if I can get the show up and going. Because I've got like 500 shows now and if you get each of those producing maybe 20 listens a day, you're absolutely killing it. And that is just audience coming to you. But what I do badly, Danny, I will twiddle around with things and one of my shows might go from 10 to 25 listens a day. I should just leave it. But I don't. I keep on sort of twiddling it. And then it goes back to sort of eight a day and you sort of move up and down. So you really have to focus in on the, the basics, the basics of website design and make sure that your title is keyword optimized. You've got to make sure that your content is good. Your audio quality is absolutely king. You know, I listen to some shows or I try to listen to some shows. It sounds like the dog has swallowed the microphone and they're trying to shout through the dog's mouth. It's so muffled. That's a key thing. And there's some great tips that you can use on a microphone and on Skype and recording. That doesn't break the bank, but it makes such a difference and gives you that professional sound. And you've got to be able to be good at it. And now when I started episode one, because I'd come from a training background, I was used to standing up in front of people talking. I wasn't the world's worst. Now, I listen back to my first show. It's all right. I sound kind of muted because the confidence level wasn't there. But it was a starting point. I listened to some people, and after about 10 shows, hello there, my name's Danny Flood, and, I, and there's no enthusiasm. And I think, oh, perk it up. If, I'm, if you're bored, I'm going to be bored. So I try to sort of get it as high as I possibly can because if I do dip down the show, it's not going to be too bad. And I think that's the key thing. Sound as if you enjoy it because if you do enjoy it, people are going to enjoy it as well and then they come to you in in large numbers. And that's certainly been working with Join Up Dots. Yeah, you seem so comfortable and confident now on the microphone, but it's it's interesting to know that it wasn't always that way. Uh, Have you you done things like... um, um, improv or like uh, stand-up public speaking, anything like that to kind of become more comfortable? Well, I was a public speaker, as I say. I was a trainer. I used to stand up and doing courses. So it wasn't a big stretch. And one of the biggest things that I thing I gained was the ability to store information in my mind and be able to come back with it very, very quickly. I've got a very agile mind. So when you're standing in front of maybe a 100 people running a training course and somebody over the left-hand side says something, but it's not quite right for what you're talking about at that moment, you can pretty much go, yeah, that's good. I'll come back to that in a moment. And then you carry on. And then 10 minutes later, you go, right, as he was saying, and you can sort of back and forth. So my conversations are very free-flowing. And I made it that way because right at the beginning, I used to hear nightmare stories about people spending maybe two or three hours editing every show, taking every um out of it, every R, every pause. And I just thought to myself, no, what I'm going to do is not edit at all and just make sure that I'm as good as possible. And so when I talk, I can literally talk for hours and there's hardly an um or an ah. It's just a free flow because I'm doing it, doing it, doing it. It's a 10,000 hour rule. Now, I'm not there, but I do believe that by pushing yourself out there and just doing it, doing it, doing it, you will improve. But if you're trying to edit it afterwards and polish it, you're never giving yourself that ability to actually find out what you can really do. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. You just have to kind of give your best effort and try to get things done right the first time because you have to move on to the next thing. You, you can't yeah. circle back and, and then, then you kind of just get lost in the swamp surrounded by alligators because I, I know exactly how you feel. I mean, writing is the same way. Uh, I, I can't obsess over every single article that I write to make sure that it's perfect. You know, I just have to give my best effort and if people like that, great. If, if not, you know, if they think I'm incompetent as a writer, I'm sorry, you know, go somewhere else. But um, you know, as long as the quality is good and you're doing your best, um, that's really all you can ask of yourself. Yeah, because I don't actually know the first word that I'm going to say when I press record. I literally press record and wham. And sometimes I actually listen to myself talking and I think, this is amazing. This is genius. Where's this coming from? And other times I think to myself, what the hell are you talking about, man? You're just talking rubbish. But it's still kind of free flow and it makes it engaging. 
And I think that's where my audience has grown very, very quickly. That I literally don't know what I'm going to say from one minute to another. And the shows are very different. There's a theme. There's a theme, of course, running through it. But you will hear a lot of podcasts and literally the questions. You know when the questions are going to turn up and the questions are exactly the same. And they go along and then they get to some kind of five very quick questions at the end. (laughs) And after about sort of four of those episodes, I'm thinking to myself, Come on, you must want to ask different questions, but they don't. The host keeps on doing the same thing. And I think that that has its tipping point where people go, oh, actually, I'm going to go off to somewhere else. (laughs) So when I did my show, it was always a case of I'm a great believer that education is great, but entertainment trumps it. And so by being entertaining, you will have people sticking with you. Where not every show is going to be brilliant, of course it's not. But as long as you put your best foot forward and you try to be entertaining and engaging, more often than not, that's going to be the case. And in the the beginning, it was quite difficult for the guests to be fluid and entertaining as well. Because that they'd been kind of programmed by all these other question and answer podcasts. And so that's what they were expecting. But now they've listened to the shows, they know what to expect, and so they meet me halfway. So the shows have just become better and better and better. Yeah. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. I've listened to those podcasts where they'll, they'll customize each episode, you know, so it's, it's focused on whoever the, their area of expertise is. But mm. but then they'll be talking about something great, and I want him to ask him another question about whatever his, his expertise is. And then they'll just totally flip things around and say, what are your favorite success quotes? Or something like that. Yeah. Uh, wait, what, what just I, happened here? It's like, <laughs> I, I saw a person on the television, and um, he was saying, you know, um, how has your life been this week, Danny Flood? And Danny Flood went... Well, um, yeah, it um, hasn't been too good because my dog got run over and my daughter just died. And the interviewer went, right, okay, that's great. So the book that you're releasing, and I thought, they're not listening. They're just not listening. And I hear that a lot in podcasts. They've got that question next. And the guest is talking. And there's some brilliant stuff, really great stuff that they should dive into. But they don't. They go straight to that, that question, which is not as good as the one that's going to pop into your mind. Pre-written questions cannot be as good as the ones that just pop into your mind because it's a conversation. Really. If you went on a date with the hottest girl in the world, Danny, and I always say this to people because um, when I do sort of a lot of coaching, I do a lot of interview sort of techniques, and you sat down with her and you reached into your pocket and you brought out 15 questions that you'd already written, she'd think you're a mental case, wouldn't she? But that's what they do in podcasts. They kind of think, right, I'm going to know what you're going to say. And I've written the questions beforehand. Can't work, surely. I, I remember the question I wanted to ask you. So, okay. Yeah, so I think we're on to something great here. Um, you know, on a human level, uh, I, I feel like we're on to something here. Because how do you get people to open up? How do you get them to, to really – because that's what you're really after here. And, and I try to ask people before the interview, you know, what do you like to talk about the most? And I want to know what, what really makes them come alive, what makes them animated. Uh, but what are some ways that, and this doesn't apply to just podcasting, but in general, how do you get people to, to really open up and feel comfortable to, to talk to you, even though they're basically like a complete stranger? The most important thing you can do is the first two and a half minutes. The first two and a half minutes, you need to flatter them. You need to engage with them. You need to get them feeling confident and comfortable. So I spend um, the first maybe three or four minutes really getting to know them personally. Now, I was very fortunate, again, because what I used to do in my old career, I used to do induction courses. So when a new member of staff comes into the company, I used to have to greet them and then for the next three days teach them how to be a member of staff before I threw them out into the company. And so I was very highly tuned at people's nuances, whether they were nervous, whether they were overconfident. And I've translated that across the mic and I can hear it. I can hear if somebody needs me to sort of cuddle them virtually or somebody needs me to keep control of them. So the first two or three minutes, that is key. But the bottom line is they're there to talk about themselves. That's the first thing. And people love talking about themselves. But as a host, I have got a responsibility for the audience. So if they start talking about themselves and keep on talking about themselves, I have to rein it back in. And there's that mutual understanding that comes in after about the first five or six minutes that they know 
I'm allowing them the freedom to talk, which they like, but I'm going to take the conversation where I want. So the responsibilities away from them. And once you get that and you hit that rapport area, you're cooking on gas. Now, the first maybe 47, 50 episodes of my show, I was finding my feet. But now, I said to my wife, I did eight shows yesterday, back to back to back, and every single one of them, as I was doing it, I thought, this is a good one. This is a really good one. And it's because... I found that connection with the person. I found that connection. It's a professional show, and they are comfortable being led to the end. And that's it, really. That's what you do. And you try to be engaging, personable. You're never rude to them, um, and you can be as open. You know, I, I say things now, which I wouldn't have said in the first 10 episodes because I would have thought it's a bit cheeky to say it. But after 500 episodes, you, you just become more comfortable. And if you say things the right way, they normally go with it and it's just great fun being a podcast host yeah so going back i think you said that the, the first two and a half minutes are really important where you just kind of engage them build rapport flatter them um and then i think the other thing too is you just seem so uh comfortable in your skin that you know just talking to you makes them feel comfortable because you're comfortable uh that's that's a great point there so i want to i want to go back uh to the business side of podcasting you mentioned earlier that uh just to, to be successful, you said that uh, quality is really important, uh, being consistent. Um, I want to ask you what else? Uh, what are some ways to uh, establish competitive advantages? You know, because there's a lot of podcasts out there today. A lot of them are kind of me too, like you said, asking the same questions. Uh, uh, from a marketing side, you know, how, or how do you be unique and, and different? Because you're, you're obviously not the only, when you start out, you weren't the only everyday podcast. Obviously, there's Entrepreneur on Fire that everyone knows about. How did you carve out your own uh, success story? I think I was very aware of the entertainment value. I think that's the bottom line. If I listen to business podcasts, there's not many that have laughs in them. And that's one of the things that I wanted to get into the show. And I've become better at doing that as we sort of moved along. But I think that's one of the things. Um, you've got to be authentic to yourself. You can't try to be somebody else. I can't be a Danny Flood because Danny Flood has had 30 years. And it's his birthday tomorrow, everybody. Happy birthday to Danny. But um, Danny's had 30 years of preparing to be Danny Flood. You're the best. So I should be the best David Ralph I could be. Um, Pat Flynn would be the best Pat Flynn. And I think once you get to that point of going, now, I don't really care about what anyone else is doing. I'm just going to do my own thing and keep on doing it. It's such a weight off, first of all, because you're not comparing yourself to anything. And one of the other great things is, honestly, the amount of podcasts out there not many of them are very good. And I, I don't mean that harshly, but so many people are pushing content out that I think if they really looked at it and spent a bit more time and understood what the audience is going to want, then they would do a lot better. And they don't. They just seem to be on their own agenda and not thinking about the audience. Now, somebody that, you know, is doing it really, really well, John Lee Dumas. Now, he's got his show, Entrepreneur on Fire, that I'm sure anyone listening to this show would have listened to. And he has got that sort of um, that question and answer session. But that was his format. He created that at the beginning. Now, that's perfectly acceptable, and that's great. And he does it very well, and he does it very, very well because he's making a lot of money at it. So, uh, you know, applause to him. It's all the other people that are looking at that and going, that's what I will do. I will follow suit. I will be world-dominating because he is. No, you've missed a trick. Be yourself. Be yourself and just keep doing what you do very well. Because number one, it'll be easier for you. Number two, you will enjoy it. And number three, if you do it very well, you'll get a large audience. And it's as simple as that. Once you take the effort away from things and just go, I'm going to be me, you, you, you just start cooking on gas. Do you agree with that, Danny? That was a fantastic answer, David. I think we can just end the episode now and just end on a high note because that was, that was brilliant. I love what you said there. Um, <laughs> I, I, I agree, but I, I just, I feel like I'm just taking it all in, you know, I'm taking notes on all of this. Um, first you said, you know, you bring laughter, you bring fun into the work, you know, enjoy it so that, you know, that, that's one way to be different. And then that there's, there's so many copycats out there just trying to mimic someone else. And, and obviously that's, that's not a recipe for success, right? No, it's not. And I, I think, I think people would find it hard to mimic my show. 
because I do certain things. I have sound clips in them. I have motivational speeches. I do everything live, so it's got a kind of radio format to it. So you've been on my show, Danny, and I know when you came on, you was very tired. And the first sort of connection we had with you, you were going, oh, I've had a rough day. And I said, you know, shall we reschedule? And you went, no, no. But by the end of it, you were like, I'm Danny Flood, and I will take on everyone. You were sort of pumped up. And I think that's quite a difficult spirit to get in a show consistently day after day after day. And that comes from the content, that comes from the host, and hopefully that energy comes out to the guest. But, um, yeah, you certainly sparked up, didn't you? You became like <laughs> Russell Crowe in Gladiator. <laughs> we, we talked about it afterwards. Uh, it's funny you remember that. Uh, I was doing a lot of interviews uh, back then for my first book, and, and I did one at 3 in the morning uh, with Entrepreneur on Fire, actually, John Lee Dumas. And, and I, I was at that point, I was running on fumes and... Uh, I definitely, I definitely feel a lot more comfortable when I talk to you, but I also remember uh, from my end, you know, I, I decided to go through with it because I did a podcast once uh, where I was just, I was having such a horrible day. I was really sick. I had like a flu, but I decided to go through with it uh, with this guy. who was a friend of mine. We did it in person and the episode turned out great. And whenever I feel like I'm, I'm having a, a rough day or that I'm, I'm struggling, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it. I just think back to that experience, you know, where like I pushed through it and everything <laughs> worked out fine, and and, and it, it, it it repeats itself, you know, that that pattern repeats itself, and so I think that having that challenge, you know, where you're like you're like I can't I can do this, but I I can't do this, but you still do it anyway. I think it's tremendously empowering because it it shows you that you have more inside of you that you realize and that you can keep going, you can push through it. Yeah, I, I've done five hundred plus shows now and I cancelled one last Thursday. I'd been recording all day and on the Wednesday I started to think, I don't feel very well. Nothing major, but I just felt a bit off. And then on the Thursday I started recording at eight o'clock in the morning and by about lunchtime I started to get a really sort of scratchy throat. And by the evening I was like that. And I had to cancel it because obviously you, you lose a voice as a podcaster. That's no good. But that's the only one that I've cancelled in 500. And there are sometimes you think to yourself, oh, I don't really feel like it now, but I, I do it. And one of the best things you can do for anybody, if you've got a task that you don't fancy doing, batch it. Just push it all in together. So I do all my recording on a Thursday. So it's literally Rocky time. You know, I run up to the recording studio and I go, right, this is it. I am the podcast host. Here I come. And this is going to be me. And it's easier than doing one on a Tuesday morning one on a Wednesday afternoon and scattering it around. It's very difficult to get yourself up. So I think a great thing to do is all the tasks you don't like doing, batch them. Just batch them into one go, get them out of the way, and then you can move on to the things that you like doing. Fantastic. Uh, so what else have you learned from a result of doing nearly uh, 500 podcasts? What, is, what are some of the lessons uh, that you've I've learned? I've learned that every single successful person is an idiot at core. You know, we all think that they are some super genius person, but they're not. They're just willing to fail, fail, fail until they find their thing. And um, I've only had a couple of people actually put their hands up and go, no, I actually confess to being an idiot. But the one thing I can do, I can do very well. So that's one of the things. So for any of the listeners out there, if you've got a business idea and you think it's got legs, give it a go. It may not work straight away, but you're better than I am. And I'll bet you're as, as good as Danny Flood, because Danny Flood's really up there. He, he's good. But um, all these kind of people that are doing great stuff, you, you, just, you make it up as you go along. And sometimes you get a bit of a, a wave that catches you and it flies you forward and you think everything's great. And then for the next three months, you're treading in water waiting for the next wave to catch you. And I think that's the biggest lesson. Nobody has got all the answers. They're just willing to fail. Yeah, that's a great point. And, and not just uh, failure, but, but also, you know, sometimes things don't work exactly like you expected, but uh, you still gain something from it. You still learn something from it. You still move forward. And just, just being able to reframe uh, failure in general uh, is really powerful. If, I, I think that you succeed if, if you just try your best and you learn something from it, then it was a success. Uh, because that way you, you don't 
you reduce the fear of failure and uh, you don't beat yourself up that you just keep moving forward you keep moving on to the next thing and taking on another challenge absolutely I, i've got a guy sitting by the side of me that just wants to jump in because he's got some good words just about that this is steve jobs here he comes he's a bit quiet. of course it was impossible to connect the dots looking forward when i was in college but it was very very clear looking backwards 10 years later again you can't connect the dots looking forward you can only connect them looking backwards so you have to trust that the dots will somehow connect in your future you have to trust in something, your gut, destiny, life, karma, whatever, because believing that the dots will connect down the road will give you the confidence to follow your heart even when it leads you off the well-worn path, and that will make all the difference. So if you change those words, he's basically saying you've got to believe in something. You've got to believe it's going to work even if yeah. you don't know how to do it, but just keep on doing stuff. And I think that's hugely powerful. Excellent. So let's, let's talk a little bit about, uh, I just had a couple of questions before we uh, sign off here. Um, let's talk about your new program. It's Podcasters Mastery, podcastersmastery.com. Mm, yeah. uh, you, you work with, with people uh, to help them set up a, uh, use podcasting to, to grow their business and, and to make more money. Um, I guess I want to ask you, like, personally, maybe I, I might embarrass myself here, but how is it you, you turn podcasting into, you know, what, for most people, it's kind of a hobby and not making a lot of money with it uh, into full-time income stream. Because I know for me, like, I don't really monetize my podcast. I just know that it's, it's helped me build a lot of great relationships. Um, some of the people I've, I've connected with as a result of the podcast have become clients. Um, and it's, it's been great for producing content, but it's not by itself uh, a money generator. Um, how, how do you help people? Because I, I watched the video on your website. You say you can help people... Uh, turned it into a full-time income with podcasting as its core. Yeah, I, I, that's very much it. I think that what you need to do with a podcast is actually get some kind of business idea and then build the podcast around it. So I have signed up for training courses in my time and they just basically teach you how to record a podcast. Brilliant. Talk into a microphone, edit it, put it up onto you know whatever platform you want, and you've got a podcast. Great. Now, what happens once you start building an audience? You need to know what you're going to sell them. You need to be able to build up that connection, that trust. So what we do is we spend quite a bit of time getting the person to understand themselves, first of all, which is unheard of in podcasting. It's not how you do it. Because do you know how many shows are released? I love this stat, but somebody creates a new show, they release episode one, episode two, episode three. Do you know how many that they released, Danny, before they stopped releasing? Uh, I have a guess, but uh, why don't you tell me? <laughs> go on, go on, have a proper guess. That wasn't a guess. <laughs> uh, I would say maybe around 20. Seven. Just seven shows. Wow. And so that says to me right at the beginning that they are choosing a subject that either bores them or hasn't got enough legs in it, um, or whatever reason. You shouldn't be able to just do seven shows and stop. So our first part on Podcasters Mastery is about getting to know you and getting to know the thing that you love doing. You know, my show, Join Up Dots, even if I wasn't earning from it, I'd still do it because I absolutely adore doing it. And so I know that essence inside me. But then we build a business around it. And only once we get those ideas and we get what customers are looking for, because at the end of the day, all business is about solving a solution, providing value to somebody. And if somebody's got a problem and you can provide an answer to that problem, bang, you've got a business. So what we do at the very end is then we create a podcast around that. So we do it totally different. So it gives people a chance to actually sort of flourish. And so you can go into sort of, Google land, and if you're in Podcasters Mastery, you can go and see other people's businesses, and it's there. It's already, they've got proper websites, they've got products, they've got everything ready to go. They're just now connecting with the audience, and once you connect with the audience, it's, it is like printing money. So there's about sort of eight or nine different ways you can monetize a website, but if you don't choose the right platform at the beginning that three years down the line you still love doing there's no point in doing it so that's how podcasters mastery came about that's fantastic advice and i think that's really the key to mastery in any field or any endeavor you need to be willing to 
you need to love it so much that you're willing to do it for free. You need to be willing to eat, breathe, and sleep what you're doing. Like you said, you, you worked 20 hours a day, seven days a week to start, and you were so fired up, you were so passionate about it. That, that is really the, the key ingredient in success in any endeavor, I think. Yeah, I've got the fire and you've got the flood, so we're not a good combination. <laughs> You, you'll put me out. I but yeah, I, I literally fire. can't get enough of doing it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you mentioned there's eight or nine different ways that you monetize. What do you, uh, can you, can you fire off a few of those and just what do you suggest to people? Yeah, well, the very first one that's easy, as we've talked about, is that you get a show going and then people come to you and you can start coaching or mentoring. So that's an easy one. It's a real easy win and people will trust you. And with the connectivity that we've got using Skype and stuff, it literally is a way that you can just choose people across the globe. Then the next thing you can do is like masterminds where you can have a paid membership each month. And I've got a very small one at the moment because I knew I had so much on my plate. I couldn't really expand that, but I will be doing that where we have people in there working on their businesses and we have ideas and we have google hangouts and people will sort of lead as a chairperson each week and i have sort of um one-to-one conversations with these people every now and again just to see how they're getting on with so once you get that and for example you you get a sort of paid mastermind fifty dollars a month which isn't that great but you get a hundred people in there then you've got five thousand a month you know it, it works out very very quickly um and then obviously you've got speaking i've started doing speaking for people i beamed in live to san francisco the other day which was great because i didn't even have to leave my office i was doing now and i could see the audience in front of me and they set up a webcam and it was like what i used to do as a presentation but as a as a podcast well as well so that was great then you write books it just leads on, leads on, leads on. But the bottom line is you've got to become good at it because if you're not good at it, then people don't trust you. And once people do trust you, and my favorite phrase of all time, Danny, and I've got it sitting in front of me, is by the comedian Steve Martin. And I pretty much say this on every podcast I go on to. But Steve Martin, a comedian, just said, become so good that they can't ignore you anymore. And I think that is it become so good but then people go who's this Danny Flood he looks good and once they're starting noticing you you've got opportunities and then you can choose which monetization you want but it takes a while to get there it's almost like a fake it until you make it really yeah yeah I I think I was very good at faking it at the very beginning um, (laughs) because of my sort of experience of standing in front of people faking it so I'd learned to fake it in a live environment on a microphone I was faking it and I, I, I still think actually now and again you fake it because you don't quite feel like it. But then there's a difference, or is there any difference between faking it and professionalism? You know, I, I don't imagine that every actor who's working on Broadway every single time the curtain that's opens thinks, this is all I want to do in my life. There must be times when you think, I'd rather sit on a sofa watching Netflix. So um, I do think you have to sort of fake it, but then fake it becomes professionalism because you enjoy doing it so much. Yeah, faking it also becomes who you are. Because I'm thinking of someone, uh, Dan Kennedy, who was, uh, he's a very successful marketing author. I think he charges like $12,000 an hour or something for his consulting. He's, he's huge now. But when he was a young, broke salesman, he would always fly in the first class, even though he could, he could barely afford it, because he wanted to study the people who were in first class. He wanted to feel like he was among them, you know, he wanted to feel like he was on the same level as them. And he would shell out all his money to fly first class everywhere he went because he wanted to adopt the mindset of those people that were in first class. Um, yes. <laughs> it's, it's a really fascinating uh, thing here. But I, I did want to ask you, though, is, is there any ethical question about, uh, you mentioned the first way is, is to monetize is consulting. So how do you avoid that guru trap, you know, where it's like the MLM scenario because... For example, you're coaching people when you haven't really earned money yourself. Uh, I see that that could be, for some people, that could be like a slippery slope there. No, I don't think so. Because at the end of the day, you've got to remember you're ahead of them. That's what they're paying for. You've actually started taking action and you are ahead of the curve. Now, you don't need to be massively ahead of the curve. And I used to do training courses when literally I'd, I'd learned the subject the night before to teach it. So I was like one page ahead. 
But that was good enough because I was still able to present the information that they wanted at that time. Now, if you're coaching somebody, a lot of the times they are looking for somebody to bench test their ideas or give them motivation or get them going. And that is your job at the beginning. Your job is to say, no, that's stupid. That's never going to work. Or that's a great idea. Let's try working on that. And so I don't think anybody needs a huge amount of experience. But I do think you can't do it until you've done it. So you've got to at least be on that journey yourself somewhere. And, of course, once you've been on that journey a long time, then your value gets higher and higher and higher. And you charge more and more. End of story. But at the beginning, you can pretty much make an income which can replicate your employee's wage very early. Now, I was talking to a guy yesterday who was telling me that he's a life coach and he was changing his own life and he started getting himself fit and and just looking after himself like he'd never done. And he was watching his kids play football or soccer, as they say over in America. And this man came up to him and said, I've noticed a big change in you over the last six months. You know, what's happening in your life? And he went, oh, well, I've just decided to sort of take control and all this. And the guy said, would you be my life coach? Now, he hadn't even heard of what a life coach is. He, he had no idea. And he said, well, what is it? And they said, well, it's, it's like this and this. And he went, well, that's just a friend, isn't it? And the man said, yeah, exactly. So he got his first life coaching when he didn't even know what it was. But the man was willing to pay because he saw something in the other person. And he actually then referred other people. And so his business sort of flourished very, very quickly. So all you're saying there, Danny, is the self-limiting thoughts that we all have right at the very beginning. But we haven't got enough value. But as long as you're doing it and you're working through, you will find your audience and you will find the person that is willing to pay you for that knowledge you've gained. And more often than not, it's just the knowledge of getting started. (laughs) David, you, you drop a lot of hints in your, your answers, and I want to hone in on one of them that you just said. Um, when, when, when you have people offering you money before you even know what a service is or before you have a business set up or a website or anything, that's when you definitely know that you're on to something that, that you can really cash in on. And yeah. I think a lot of people look through the, end, the wrong end of the telescope where they, they try to get the business set up, they try to get the website up, uh, they have this idea that they want to build out, but they haven't made any money at all. So they, they spend four or five, maybe, you know, two, three, four or five, maybe six months just trying to set something up, and they're in the hole. They haven't made a single dollar yet. But whenever you can, you're getting paid for something before you even have a, a business or website or, or even have anything official set up, then you know you're under a great opportunity. Richard Branson always says, screw it, let's do it. That's his big <laughs> phrase. And he gets a lot of opportunities come to him, obviously, because he's Richard Branson. But he doesn't know how to do it. He just sort of says, yeah, that sounds good. Let's sort it out. And most of us now with Odesk and virtual assistants, you know, I've got marketing guys working for me now on Join Up Dots and um, Podcasters Mastery. Because I realized there was a gap in my knowledge. I was great talking into a microphone, but the marketing, I either didn't know about it or it bored me. And if it bores you, then you should find somebody else to do it. And so if you are willing to provide value to somebody and somebody's willing to pay for it, don't worry about anything else. Don't worry about websites. Don't worry about emails. Don't worry about anything. Get that money off that person straight away. Provide them the most value you can possibly give them. Learn from what works while you're doing it and invest all that money back into then getting the website up and all the other stuff and then you'll be up and running. But the bottom line is you have got to take it as the greatest opportunity for yourself to learn what works. And because you're being paid for it, it's even better. Excellent. Well, David, you, uh, you definitely delivered on this interview, and I want to thank you. There's, there's so many great uh, answers in there, and I know I'm going to go back and listen to this interview a couple of times, and uh, I highly recommend listener uh, to listen to this interview at least two or three times because there was a lot of uh, great, valuable nuggets and knowledge shared from your experience. Uh, David, what's, what's next for you? Uh, what are you focused on right now, and uh, where do you see yourself going in the next year or so? 
Well, I've got, obviously, I want to get Podcasters Mastery bigger and bigger and bigger. I want to get Join Up Dots as the number one show. Um, I've hit number one in the UK numerous times, but I want it to be the number one show across the planet. And um, I, I totally believe I can do that as well. I just believe I've just got to keep on working on it. Um, I've got a few courses that people are coming to me now and saying, and this is what I like, Danny, is they're saying to me, can you record the content and then we'll promote it for you? You keep 60% and we keep 30% and we use 10% for advertising. So after a couple of days, I've got a new course. And I'm very, if, I find it very easy just to look into a webcam and just talk. And I record these videos, hand it over to them, so they're doing that. So I'm sort of spreading myself across the world, but I'm doing less and less myself because I'm trying to hone in on my super talent, like you did, because you, you recorded this podcast today, and I could see you must have dodged 30 ping-pong balls. So you are a professional <laughs> working to your super talent. <laughs> I don't think there's a lot of uh, podcasters out there who are full-time nomadic like I am. I mean, most of them... Uh you know, have a, a studio or something like that. So uh, I'm just being me and I'm, I'm doing the best I can, even though I'm, I'm sitting in a hostel at the moment and there's a, a ladder next to me and they're, they're doing something. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, 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 it's like you said, it's, it's, it's just a pebble in the shoe and, and you just got to do your best regardless and, and it's just have faith that it's, it's uniquely you. And I think that a lot of our listeners and our readers, you know, they understand what my lifestyle is like and, 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 I think that I have a unique um, perspective to share based on this kind of experience. And, um, and so do you. And, and I want to thank you for, for sharing your knowledge and everything that you've uh, shared on this interview. It's, it's been fantastic. And um, if you want more from David, go check out his podcast, joinupdots.com and podcastersmastery.com. Uh, to to learn how to set up your own podcast and, and your own uh, business and uh, just just more from David, more valuable insights. <laughs> it's been an absolute delight to be on your show, Danny, and you are a legend in the podcasting world. Oh, thank you. You are a legend, sir. <laughs>